0: The following is meant for information purposes only. Before taking any action on anything being discussed, consult your medical doctor. Welcome to Heart Health with board-certified cardiologist and doctor of internal medicine, Dr. Franklin Weevold. Heart Health is a local call-in health show designed to educate and inform you of the most up-to-date information for not only maintaining a healthy heart, but a healthy body. Call us with your health questions at 919-890-9783. Well, the
1: topics today include, but are not limited to, opioid tapering. Heard a lot about the opioid ed- epidemic. Dr. Weefald has
2: some it is opinions. A, it is a big medical crisis, the opioid crisis, without a doubt.
1: You know what's weird? Yeah. This is 21st century is not working out the way I thought it was going to. You know who we've become? What? We have become the Chinese in the. Uh,
2: the oh, listen, I know w- about w- that. My mother the, was Chinese. When yeah. the
1: Brits. Was it the well, British? You know what people? it was. Yeah,
2: the Brits had a monopoly on opium. Yeah, grown um, in uh, West Asia, and so they needed a market. And China. opium was a long-standing tradition in China, and but it was very rare, and so there were certain rich people who would spend their day in what's yeah. called an opium den. Yeah. And the opium, the opium was smoked, these, I don't know if you know this, big, long pipes. Okay. And they would lie on these chairs, I mean, these, these like lounges, chaise lounges, Yes, and had big, long pipe, and people would come by and put the opium in and light it for them. And they would just lie there for hours. Well, the British recognized that that was a market. And eh? so there was a war about this because the, the Chinese officials at first did not want to allow it to be sold in the country. Well, right. I get, what do they do? They bribed the officials. But When the officials still resisted, the British invaded and took over and forced the sale of opium on the Chinese.
1: But it weakened the country oh, it destroyed because it. of drug abuse. Anyway, right. that's destroyed topic it. one. Surgery in the womb, vaccines. We've got somebody to come on the radio program after the 430 News who has a different opinion from yours. Well, and you know, I respect
2: opinions. Yeah. Um, but I'm also going to be very, very frank. That uh, it's a public health crisis now. Not vaccinating, and right. we'll talk about that.
1: And he is, by the way, Doctor Franklin. We fall, so he will be Frank on the show.
2: Uh, I am always Frank. You are. Yeah. Right. So, sometimes, sometimes Frankie. Really? Yeah. yeah.
1: I didn't know that. All right. And your phone calls nine one nine eight six zero. Nine seven eight three nine one nine eight six zero nine seven eight three. We've gone a couple of minutes and not given anybody some health advice. Well, here's, so here's the thing. Let's do it
2: um, with the opioid crisis. It the powers that be are feeling the pinch. I mean, it's true. Um, there are young people dying every day of opioid overdoses, and the concept was that the doctors were over prescribing. Mm-hmm. So there's not a concept that the addicts have a personal responsibility for their actions. It's that they're victims. And so okay. the pressure has been on doctors to stop prescribing opioids. Not just do it less, but stop. And so there are all these regulations. And I would say that the powers that be get away get away with it by saying, oh, no, no, they're not regulations. They're, they're guidelines. But what do the guidelines say? There are certain amounts that you should give, and if you're giving over that, you're going against recommendations. And if you give other medicines with the opioids, you're increasing the risk of overdoses. Now, I've used pain medications in my practice for 35 years. I've had zero overdoses. I have had people who get the medicines and sell them to the addicts who Mm -hmm. abuse them, but there's a very easy way to find out is that every month or so you do surprise and bring them into the office, tell them, I want to count your pills. Ah, uh, It's called a surprise pill count. The other thing you do is you don't tell them which office visit. You hand them a cup, and they have to produce urine. And so you can't tell them when it's going to be Yeah, because there's a possibility they could fake it.
1: And, and they're the customer, though. I, I right. mean, honestly, they could walk out of your practice.
2: And absolutely. And you know what? When they do... I say, fine, because you're not going to withdraw because you weren't taking them. Now, the urine tests are very accurate. And not only do you detect the presence of the opioid, but how much they're taking. So if if somebody's getting three a day and they have a certain level that corresponds to one a day, then you know they're not taking them. And I've seen that. It's it's not usual. The patients that I take over on um, and treat – are very good about it and they're necessary. For example, I've got a lady who has very bad lungs. Um, She's had emphysema, she's had a heart attack, she has a defibrillator, Mm -hmm. and she has basically a a broken back that can't be fixed and she's in constant pain. She can't get up without pain. She's in a wheelchair almost 24 seven. Well, she fell out of her wheelchair and now has what's called a rotator cuff tear. So the muscles and everything around the, the shoulder joint yeah. are torn. So that's constant pain.
1: And she's in a wheelchair. Does it manual wheelchair?
2: Oh, no. She's oh, okay. got an electric right. one. But also her son now lives with her. Yeah. Because he's got to pull her out of the wheelchair and put her in the. And so she's on opioid narcotics. And when she went to the hospital for a urinary tract infection, of course, they said, oh, my gosh, you know, we're, we're giving you too many narcotics. And they abruptly – halved the dose, no, and she went into the worst withdrawal. And not only was the withdrawal bad, but her pain level went up so high that uh, she couldn't tolerate. It. I mean, she was in horrible pain. So the answer that they give us, the powers that be, is that we should be using biofeedback, or we should be using <laughs> acupuncture, yeah, or we should be sitting down and 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 talking to this type of person and therapeutically convincing them that they don't have pain. Mm-hmm. And and so these are the individuals who need narcotic pain medications, people who have chronic pain that can't be fixed. Now, could she have surgery? I sent her to three different neurosurgeons, online to treat her because of her what we call comorbid illnesses. Right, she got other her things. Lungs, she, her heart. Want- yeah, and I sent her to a Excellent shoulder surgeon who has done injections. So you can inject right into the joint right. a combination of anti-inflammatory steroids to try to reduce the pain, but for many people, it doesn't do the job. Now, what's happening is that a lot of physicians are running scared. All
1: right, let me let me bring you sure. this audio from Dr. David DeBendetto, who is uh, high in the Boston Pain Care Clinic. And this is courtesy of Fox TV. There are times where patients need
0: to undergo a taper,
2: even though they don't agree with the plan. If you see side effects, if you see really adverse consequences of medications, even though the patient may want to stay on the medication, it's your duty to wean the patient to a lower dose and sometimes take medication away. But there are many more people who are just having it taken away because the physicians feel uncomfortable prescribing anymore or they're being told by the practice they work in, they can't prescribe anymore, and that's just wrong. I, that kills me. Well, and here's, here's the issue, okay? Physicians now are under the gun. Um, the press likes to uh, um, show all these outlying physicians who have committed malpractice, who yeah. have um, gamed the system and stolen from Medicare.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: When was the last time? a hero physician was put on the air. And can you remember? No, no, You right. know, this guy saved this life. You right. don't see that anymore. Right. Uh, there was a great show, Hopkins 24-7. I don't know if you saw it. It was on ABC. No. The heroes of medicine. Well, yeah. now all we hear about are the dregs of medicine. And so a physician is deathly afraid of losing his license. And, you know, the powers that be, I mean, I had a – a physician uh, whose name I won't mention called the DEA yeah. and say that I was, you know, uh, a pill pusher. So one day the DEA walked in my office, the three agents with guns on their hips, yeah, and said, "We're here to discuss your opioid management." Now, oh don't get gosh. me wrong; I have six thousand patients. I prescribe opioids to about thirty people, sure. so it's less sure. than one percent of my practice. Okay. They came in. And they said, why are you giving this patient this? And having no idea why. Yeah. But it was a very large dose. So amazing. And, and thankfully to me, this patient was in the office that day. Now, what's the chances <laughs> of that? So I got the record. 3,000 to 1, yeah, I'll tell you what it is. One page, I mean, one office note yeah. was nine pages long. And thankfully, I had um, very carefully documented everything. So the guy walks in and looks at this guy and says, "Can you get out of that chair?" And the guy laughs at him. He says, this is "The last time I've got out of my chair after yeah. I broke my back the third time it was in 1987." And so the guy looked at me and and said, "You know, uh we're not coming back. You're off the hook." I mean, this is obviously a an indicated situation. Yeah. And so, yeah, I I was subjected to scrutiny. And I did win. I, no, didn't win. I passed yeah. this scrutiny.
1: Well, no, with the DEA agents, were any of them doctors?
2: Of course not. Okay. Of course right. not. I just thought. And so, you know, they were doing their job. Yeah. You know, they're under pressure from the press. Um, and every time they get a hold of some doctors and and who were misprescribing and West Virginia, for example, They just rounded up about 20 doctors. Now, what's the difference? These guys' practices were pills, and you'd come in, you'd get the prescription, you'd go to this one particular pharmacy, and you'd get your pills. Now, they were prescribing 100 times the expected amount for that town, and the pharmacy, the (laughs) one pharmacy, was was like an outlier for Purdue. We'll talk about Purdue. That's the company that's in trouble. And, and basically, Purdue had to have a separate um, semi truck just to deliver to this pharmacy. Now, of course, they're outliers, right? But individual physicians who prescribe them are less than one percent of their patients. I seriously doubt that that physician or those sets of physicians are overprescribing. Right. Now, the FDA has finally recognized that perhaps we've gone overboard because they just issued. A pan-physician alert about the danger of rapid taper or discontinuation. And thank God, because it's happening everywhere. And, you know, I've had patients walk in the door, obviously in withdrawal, sweating, mm-hmm. uh, in horrible pain. And, I, and they, were, they were my patients for cardiac reasons, and they had gone to pain clinics for other reasons. And they said, he just cut me off. And I was really, I was really, and you know, I couldn't write for them. Right. Because they have what's called a pain contract. And the contract is with a particular physician who is the only one allowed to write for that patient. And there's a reason for that because mm-hmm. you don't want a doctor shop. Now, they have a database where they can look and they mm-hmm. can see who is getting them and who are they getting them from. So that's really good. But I think. That the pendulum has swung, and I'd like to see the pendulum looked at carefully. And I think there should be um, more understanding that there are patients who need these medications.
1: You're listening to Dr. Franklin Weefald. This is Heart Health on News Radio 680 WPTF. Coming up surgery in the womb, more on vaccines, and something called non invasive mitral valve surgery. Radio. Apparently, I'm going to learn something in the next segment. Of course, here you are. On uh, Heart Health on WPTF.
0: Now, back to Heart Health with Dr. Franklin Weefald on News Radio 680 WPTF. This is Dave
1: Alexander along with Dr. Franklin Weefald, uh, and you've got a word or two before we move right. on from I just, opioid I just wanted to say tapering.
2: Yeah. The way we're cutting back on uh, chronic opioid prescriptions, the question is, has it worked? Yeah. And so you want to ask yourself, as the level of opioid prescriptions are going down, are the level of overdoses going down? And the answer is no. Um, the sad fact is that there is this horrible thing called fentanyl. And so a lot of the addicts went, who weren't getting them, and rightly so, um, did not um, have a medical reason to get uh, opioids, Yeah, are turned to heroin, and then the Chinese developed an easy way to produce fentanyl now fentanyl is a very powerful opioid it's a synthetic opioid it's used for cardiac surgery it's wonderful it mm-hmm. puts you out yeah but it produces a high that is very desirable from the addicts and so they the drug pusher started mixing the fentanyl into the heroin and the horrible thing is that on certain doses they would put an overdose of fentanyl so that the drug users would find out somebody overdosed on it, and they'd say, that's good stuff, and they'd go to the drug dealer, that no. particular drug dealer. Well, now you can get pure fentanyl because it is so inexpensive uh, on the street. So I will just tell you this. The, the crackdown on chronic opioid prescriptions has not resulted in a reduced uh, level of opioid deaths. In fact, they're skyrocketing. So for me, the Drug Enforcement Agency has done a good job in educating physicians on how not to overprescribe. We need to educate them, uh, physicians, on how not to cut somebody off unnecessarily Mm -hmm. because they're afraid of losing their license. Um, But we've got to focus on this horrible fentanyl epidemic. And, and find the sources and, and stop the importation of fentanyl. It's just, it's a horrible nightmare. Okay. All right, let's talk about-
1: Surgery in the womb.
2: Yeah. Now, many, many times we can diagnose terrible birth uh, defects in the womb through these massive, uh, not massive, but but very accurate ultrasound. Yeah. Well, there's a condition called spina bifida. And that's when this the spinal cord and the covering of the spinal cord doesn't develop. And so there's a split, and bifid means split. So spina bifida means that it's split, and it's open to the skin. And it, it can cause – there's a range. It can cause paralysis. It can cause weakness. And – the surgery for it after birth wasn't so great. Um, it didn't really fix the issue. Now, the great thing about a fetus is that it's still developing. There are still so many what we call stem cell yeah. that they found that if the fetus could be corrected in terms of its defect, then the body sort of finishes the correcting. And so now there's something called fetal surgery, and it's amazing. So what they'll do is like... If you have your gallbladder taken out by a laparoscope, they go in through your belly button, they have a camera on the end, they have little tiny forceps and little tiny cutters, and it's very advanced now. You can take your gallbladder out in a very short period of time, and you don't have this big scar along the right lower rib. So they developed a way to go into the uterus, um, and these fetuses, as you know, are tiny. Wow. And they can... Um, both with ultrasound and with the actual cameras on the end of these probes, repair spina bifida. Now, they're also doing heart surgery. Uh, That's less developed. But they go in, they find the defect, and they have a particular technique of closing the defect. And they found that when they do it early enough, um, that the baby's stem cells react and sort of finish the job. And these babies are born with little, and sometimes no, sign that they had this to begin with.
1: They had spina bifida. Yeah, which is as an well yeah. as you just said, it can
2: be a crippling um, birth defect. Wow! And it's amazing. So, um, I think what this shows is that medicine and the field of medicine is still progressing amazingly. So, instead of saying how horrible doctors are. Yeah. Let's shout out that these there are still heroes and there are still giants in medicine who walk the earth. Very good. Absolutely.
1: You told me about mitral valve surgery. Right. Is that
2: w- yeah. Let's talk about it. the mitral valve is is the probably the second. Well, no, maybe the first most important valve. The way valves work is obviously any valve it allows fluids to flow in one direction. Yeah. And so the mitral valve controls the flow of blood between the lungs, where it gets red and rich with oxygen. It goes into the left side of the heart across the mitral valve. Then when the ventricle, which is the power, big chamber, contracts, and the blood is supposed to flow out to the body where it nourishes your brain and your mm-hmm. muscles, etc., mm-hmm. the valve is like a parachute. So it's opened and flopping around as the blood flows in. Yeah. And then it's like a parachute. When the heart beats, it captures the blood that may flow backwards. And- it collapses on itself and forms a tight seal. Now, that's a lot of pressure on that valve. It's, it's the equal to the pressure that you find in a blood pressure, 120, 120 millimeters of mercury. Okay. It has to withstand that pressure. Well, unfortunately, over time, um, through aging and through genetic defects where you don't have a strong connective tissue, the valve can leak. And so when it leaks, people think, oh, there's a leaking outside my heart. No, it's leaking blood back into the lung chambers, into the upper chambers that are trying to receive the blood. Right, It raises pressure, and it decreases the amount of blood that flows forward. Before, you had to replace the valve. You'd open up the chest, put them on this heart-lung machine, stop the heart, open up the heart, and put a new valve in. And these are artificial valves. Now, don't get me wrong. It works. Sure. And then they developed a way to repair the valve, and they would open up your chest, put your heart on a heart-lung machine and actually slice and dice and sew the valve together and then put a ring around the top of the valve and and seal it up so it wouldn't leak. Well, somebody, and again, a giant who walks the earth in the medical field, thought about, well, what if we just clip the valve from the inside so part of it is sealed together, Mm -hmm. and that'll allow more of it to capture blood and close. And this is called the mitra clip And it is amazing. I've probably sent 20 patients who have severe mitral regurgitation. Now, most of the patients who got the mitral clip were, quote, unquote, too sick for regular surgery. But I think now it's developing to the point where it's worked so well that we'll be – and it's relatively easy to perform. Now, I say that, but, for example, Francis Wood, Dr. Wood, who performs this along – with other surgeons, uh, Brian Bolton, at yeah. Um, They do a great job. And what they do is they go into the leg yeah. where there's a big artery that goes to, from the heart called the femoral artery. They go into the aorta. Yeah. They go down across the aortic valve into the left ventricular chamber. So they're underneath the mitral valve. They're where the valve opens. And they can actually, through ultrasound, figure out which part of the valve needs to be clipped together. Mm-hmm. And they get this this uh, catheter that has a very fancy thing on the end. Mm-hmm. They put it across the valve. They wait for the right moment, and they clip it. And sometimes you put two clips in.
1: We're going to talk to a woman who disagrees with the medical community about vaccines. Great. Although uh, she she says she's been studying this for years, Great. she's I'd like got to hear some from concerns. Her. And we're going to talk about the fact that— vaccinations and anti-vaxxing is in the news that's coming up after our news right now
0: now back to heart health with dr franklin Weefald on news radio 680 wptf in this segment we're going to talk about vaccinations and
1: specifically the controversy over outbreaks of measles in the united states a disease that at one point was practically unknown uh, conquered
2: it was conquered conquered.
1: Uh, all right and uh, robin has agreed to join us hi robin robin thank you very much for joining us Uh, robin's a mom and i contacted robin through a group called people advocating vaccine education thank you very much for joining us robin what's what's your background in this what is your uh your story that brings you to this topic
3: Well, it's a topic I'm very passionate about, and um, as you said, I'm a mom, and I actually have a career that spans 17 years in medical sales, and four and a half of those have been in pharmaceutical sales. Great. Yeah. So I know my way around a package insert, and um, just before my son, who is now nine, was born, I started researching, but I didn't have enough confidence um, to make the choice that I've now made until after my daughter was born. So it took about three years of research for me to feel comfortable with my conviction. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, now we don't vaccinate at all in this family.
2: And what was, what was your source of research? And tell us more about what you found out and how you found out about vaccines.
3: Oh, my. Well, as I said, I've been studying for more than nine years. So I've got several binders, um, each three-inch thick. Um, I have all the packaged inserts. Um, I can give you an overview of my research.
2: Yeah, well. I'd like to. I want to, I, it'd be great to hear it.
3: Okay. Um, let me start with, well, you mentioned measles. Um, so I guess we'll start there. Um, I, I know a lot of the measles outbreaks are blamed on the unvaccinated, um, but I'll refer you to a, a journal article, the New England Journal of Medicine in 1987, and it went through six outbreaks and more than half of those people were vaccinated because measles is a live virus vaccine, and it does cause shedding for up to six weeks some studies show. So um, we look at Rockland County, New York, and I think they may even be causing their own problems because they're trying to get everybody to get vaccinated and not ignoring the fact that the vaccine sheds.
2: Okay, so you would advocate nobody getting the measles vaccine?
3: I think we're trading an illness. For
2: disease, I'm not sure I understand what you're saying.
3: So um, you say nobody
2: get. Uh, yeah, I'm just asking. Are you saying nobody should get the measles vaccine from, from day one? We should just get rid of it. Yeah,
3: I, I don't believe in vaccinations at all.
2: Okay, so what happens when there's an epidemic? What do we do? So
3: okay, well, um, that, were
2: you alive in the 50s? I doubt I was it. Not. You're young. I was not. Okay, um, do you remember anything about polio? That's a whole nother subject. Well, no, no, no. It's part of the subject because we're talking about getting rid of vaccines. Now, in the 30s, 40s and 50s, there was a horrible situation that kids, these were mostly suburban kids who played outside Mm -hmm. and they would get a fever and then all of a sudden they'd be paralyzed. Mm -hmm. Now, that disease is gone. And how do you explain that?
3: Well, there's actually, actually several theories. Um, one was that DDT was being sprayed, and DDT poisoning mimics poliomyelitis um, symptoms. And there are about 20 other diseases whose symptoms mimic polio, some of the Katsaki viruses.
2: Mm-hmm. So, so how do you explain po- that polio vaccinate- exists in places where they don't vaccinate? So in other Correct. words, we've gotten rid of it. -hmm. And in places in the world that don't vaccinate, there are still polio outbreaks. So how is that explained? Well, I
3: would I would ask: Are they spraying pesticides? Um, Not all pesticides are okay. These are
2: in these are in very poor areas where Mm -hmm. they don't have anything. They don't have pesticides. They don't have uh, fertilizer. They don't have uh, soft soap. Um, You know the point I'm trying to make is that um, the, the introduction of the polio vaccine has probably saved millions of lives, but also prevented people from being paralyzed. The president of the United States, Franklin D. Roosevelt, caught polio, and he was debilitated, and yet he still became the president of the United States. So the polio vaccine worked, and I don't understand how anyone can say that it didn't. Because as soon as the polio vaccine came on the market in the 50s, polio ended. Now, if you're saying it was DDT, can you demonstrate that at the same time they started giving the polio vaccine, that they started using DDT?
3: I can actually back up a little more than that. Um, If you're talking about the decline in disease Uh rates, there are morbidity and mortality statistics Uh available from our government Uh bodies. And if you graph them out, um, most of the decline in the disease happened before any of the vaccines were introduced. Well,
2: that is actually completely false. The largest number of people who got polio occurred the year before the vaccine was introduced. And anybody on the radio now who has access to a computer can Google that. So the introduction of the polio vaccine eliminated the disease in the United States. It was immediate. It was completely and totally immediate. After they introduced the polio vaccine, there were no new cases of polio.
1: Let me just jump in and say that you're hearing from Dr. Franklin Weefall, the cardiologist and internal medicine specialist with Millennia Cardiovascular. Uh, On the phone with us is Robin, who is a mom who takes a very different view of vaccines. Yeah, and you know, Robin, I'm
2: not disrespecting your opinion. I'm one of the people who thinks that I can learn from you. But I think that one of the problem with the anti-vaxxers is they don't want to learn from us. And so what I'm trying to say is if we get rid of, okay, the, you talked about the, me, the, the measles epidemic. Um, sure, there are some people who are vaccinated who are getting measles. There's no doubt about it because vaccines in certain individuals are never 100% effective. But there's something called herd immunity, where enough people in the community are immune that the virus never develops a a reservoir where it can erupt. So the great thing about the polio vaccine, it was a live attenuated virus. So it was a polio virus that was modified so it didn't cause the polio um, uh, disease, but it allowed us to become immune. And so there were people who didn't get the vaccine. But the nice thing about it was it spread throughout the community and eliminated the reservoir of the virus in certain individuals from spreading one to one. So it is definitely true that the source of the measles epidemic is in individuals who were not vaccinated and that is without a a doubt so what do we do if these if these diseases come back um what do we do about all the people who die or who become debilitated Uh, do you you think that won't happen
3: well as i mentioned the the graph that i'm talking about that So the decline in disease morbidity and mortality, even over the diseases that they have no vaccine for, like typhoid, Um, so the decline before, so let's leave out polio for a second, because let's come back to that. Um, The decline happened before the vaccine was there. And um, if you take a look at the, um, are you familiar with the McKinley study?
0: Tell
1: me again what this study is.
3: The McKinley study, there's uh, John McKinley and Sonia McKinley. It used to be required reading for medical students.
2: Oh, no. We, we a, a we've never them. read that. Tell me tell me about the study. Uh, explain okay, so, uh, it.
3: So the title of the study is The Questionable, Questionable Contribution of Medical Measures to the Decline of Mortality in the United States in the 20th Century. And on the top of page 22, they talk about that medical interventions have been responsible for probably 3.5% of the decline in mortality and morbidity.
2: 3.5?
3: How, um, how...
2: What percentage was it again? I didn't hear you. What, what percentage decline?
3: 3.5.
2: 3.5%. So change... Can
3: I finish my thought? Do you mind?
2: Yeah. So was it the vaccine that caused 3.5% decrease or just something else? They're
3: saying medical measures, Uh um, but... What they attributed the decline to was improvements in nutrition and sanitation. And now you're telling me third world countries, they're, they're not, um, don't have the nutrition. So
2: if they don't, don't have So if you don't have
3: proper nutrition, your immune system's not going to function
2: properly. Oh, so better I, I nutrition. Get the, I
1: get the point. Yeah. I, Robin, yeah. Robin, Robin, can I restate it? Because I've got a better microphone than you Yeah, do. I, didn't, I don't quite get what Is you Is it possible that it, instead of the vaccinations, people are living... With diseases or they're overcoming these diseases, what? Because we have better medicine otherwise and better health overall.
2: Okay, let's talk about a vaccine that I got. I've gotten every vaccine. Yeah. Every single one. Like what? And if there's another one coming out, I'm going to get hepatitis B. Yeah. So hepatitis B is a really, really nasty virus. It lives in your liver, uh, can cause uh, cancer. Um, Chronic Mm -hmm. hepatitis leads Mm -hmm. to cirrhosis, liver transplants. So in those individuals in the medical field who had hepatitis B vaccine, you don't know if you're a surgeon that your patient has hepatitis B. Right, right. So they've proven that those surgeons who have had the hepatitis B vaccine don't get hepatitis B. But the surgeons who have not been vaccinated get hepatitis B. Now, how do you explain that?
3: How do
2: I explain that? Yeah. I mean, if the vaccine's no good, then how do you explain that the surgeons who have I, the vaccine... Okay, so
3: let me define that. I didn't say the vaccine was no good. I just said it's not responsible for the huge decline in morbidity and mortality in the United States and the rest of the world.
2: Okay. Well, um, hepatitis B is gone. And everybody gives the, it credit for.
3: I'm yeah, hepatitis saying, B is gone. If All
2: you right. get the vaccine, you're not going to get it.
1: Let me jump in with one yeah. thought. Suppose, Robin, mm-hmm. that... Um, uh, you don't vaccinate your child, mm-hmm. um, and your child gets the disease. Now, Dr. Wefold has told me that for measles, it's a hundred percent. in other words, hundred percent preventable. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. my granddaughter well, that's is nine not true. well, it is true. Not it is true. In okay.
2: communities where there are um greater than ninety five percent vaccine. Uh, uh, usage, they have not had the measles outbreak. The measles outbreak has only occurred, for example, the Hasidic Jews who don't vaccinate, mm-hmm. that's the that,
3: That's not entirely true either, respectfully, sir. Um, New York is 97% vaccinated. I can send you that one. Right,
2: but the, but the outbreaks are occurring only in those areas where there is a lack of vaccination. That's it. Uh, okay. in, the areas, in the areas where there is a penetration of 97% vaccination, there have been no outbreaks, period.
1: Robin, I'm going to give you the last word here, yeah, at least word. in this segment. And then Dr. Wefall, of course, will continue the program. Mm-hmm. I know that he'll make his point. So, Robin, yeah. do you believe that uh, parents should have the right to decide whether or not their child who attends public school should be vaccinated?
3: I absolutely do, because we're responsible for them, and nobody is going to help us if we have a vaccine injury. Okay. Um, Can I just make a few more comments?
2: Yeah, absolutely.
3: Okay. So, are you aware that in 1986, Congress passed the National Childhood Vaccine Injury Act, which absolves pharmaceutical companies for any liability for their their products?
2: And there Are is no doubt there, have vaccine yeah. there have no, no doubt. there is no doubt there've
3: been vaccine injuries.
2: been. There's no doubt there've been vaccine injuries. I I don't deny that.
3: Okay. Mm. Yeah. Well, that's good. Um, but, yeah, because and actually in um, section thirteen, one of every package insert, and I'll leave this for you to explain to your listeners. Yeah, I mean if you it read says it, that it's not been evaluated for carcinogenic or mutagenic potential or for impairment of fertility. None of the vaccines have. Okay.
2: I'm going to go ahead. Robin, thank you. Yeah. Listen, and don't get me wrong. I, I do respect your opinion. I strongly disagree with it. But this is the United States of America, and you have every right to express your opinion and try to convince people. So thank you so much for being on the show. I think it is very important that we hear your side of the story.
1: Thank you, Robin.
3: Thank you for on.
1: All right. Bye. Bye. All right. Uh, you're going to follow up on this oh, in the absolutely. last little bit of the
2: radio program. Absolutely.
1: We're talking about vaccines. If you wanted to join in, you could call 919-860-9783. A,
2: if there's somebody out there who believes that their child was injured by a vaccine, please
1: call. 919-860-9783. Heart Health on News Radio 680 WPTF.
0: Now, back to Heart Health. Have a question for Dr. Weefald? Call 919-890-9783.
1: And we have started the phone calls for the radio program. Hot topic. It's Just a hot topic. Tracy yes. and Andrew, thank you very much for calling in and talking about this. Hi, Tracy. Hello. Hey, how are you? Go ahead.
4: I'm good. How are you? Good. I just wanted to call and make one quick comment. Please. Yeah, please. Um, I think that a lot of doctors are unaware of the experience of injury that can happen from vaccine.
2: Oh, well, I'm very aware. A lot of the, very aware. Very um, aware.
4: Well, I'm really curious if you're aware of the extent of the injuries that can happen, how you are so convinced that it would be well, just yeah. undeniably the right thing. That's a do. good
2: question. Okay, so there comes a time have you ever read the package insert on a Tylenol? Nah, no. Have has. you ever read the package insert on a Tylenol?
4: Yes,
2: it's terrible. Yeah. You read that thing and you're going to throw it in the trash and say you're never going to take one. Anything yeah, that we do. Not do you drive a car? Do you yes. drive a car? Yes. Okay. You have a chance.
4: See,
2: uh, uh, let me. I'm going to let you speak. I'm going to let you speak in a second. Whenever, no, no, no.
4: Whenever I, their products malfunction.
2: I'm going to let, let. like the
4: Boeing airplane crashes that just happened. Terrible. You can see the pilots. Terrible. Being blamed for that, just like doctors. Like oh no, the, be blamed the, for the pilots Definitely are not being blamed. the pharmaceutical companies should be held liable.
2: Okay, let me talk. You've talked. Let me talk. Okay, vaccines can cause injury. There's no doubt about it because we're all different human beings. So the question becomes: Do you want to allow one injury, or or recognize there's going to be one injury when there are hundreds of thousands of people who won't be injured because of the vaccine? I so the question are becomes,
4: there. there's hundreds of thousands of children that are definitely injured by No,
2: the, the numbers of people injured by vaccines is extremely small. When the polio vaccine... depends
4: on the type of injury that you are considering. If you're talking yeah. about um, autism, you know, that is really only actually a small portion of children that it are It doesn't happen. Autism, autism does not happen
2: from vaccines. It just doesn't. It's been proven. That's false. Okay. That's
4: false. There is significant scientific data from You all show of the me. World that okay, I tell you, what let's, tell you, you what, let's do. between
2: autism and vaccines. And sh- I'm not
4: talking about the MMR vaccine.
2: No, no. I'm talking You show me a sink the only time that was that somebody from a medical fit situation published an article suggesting that autism was caused by vaccines was proven it was wrong. Retracted. Andrew
4: Wakefield, I'm not,
2: I'm not interrupting you, don't interrupt me. Hang
1: on, Tracy, hold on.
2: Tracy, don't interrupt me. I'll let you talk, okay? But that guy not only had his paper proven wrong, but it was proven that he falsified the data and he was fired. He's an English guy. Yeah. Okay, you show me one scientific paper that's published in a journal of any uh, repute and I will quit my profession. How's that sound? You show Chris me to one.
4: Into research by Chris Exley.
2: Show me one. Okay. Write it down.
1: I, I'm writing it down. Chris, what?
4: Chris Exley. E- Exley. X-L-E-Y. That's the
2: guy. Up. That's the guy who got fired, sweetheart.
4: No, oh that is not the guy who got fired.
2: So you're aware the guy got fired for falsifying.
4: Bail. Andrew Wakefield is the one who apparently falsified data, yeah. which is also an inaccurate
2: statement. All right, well, that's, that's not inaccurate. Okay, let me I'm tell gonna, you something. Yeah. Do you know anybody who lived in the 50s who got polio? Do you?
4: Why do you keep bringing it back to polio? Because this
2: polio is, is the pal- prime pal- example yeah. of how we save hundreds of thousands of lives through vaccines. Do, do you not think polio what? was important?
4: I'm not even going to argue with you on efficacy for some vaccines. For example, I do believe that the measles vaccine is effective. The mumps portion of that vaccine is not. Mark is in court for that right now.
1: What vaccine
2: is not effective? Which one? She says the mumps.
4: The mumps portion of the MMR vaccine.
2: Have you ever seen anybody with mumps? Have you? No,
4: I have not seen it. Because
2: time. of the vaccine. <laughs> <laughs> no,
4: listen. This is the thing. I don't think that you have really open-mindedly researched okay. the topic. I think that's...
2: Good. Open-minded. Let's see. The Johns Hopkins School of Medicine. I went there for seven years. So I'm not open-minded, huh? Uh-huh. I'm not educated, huh? we're
4: just huh? jump back and forth between topic to topic and not say that. No, Can but, but you're, you you're, we're
2: jumping back and forth because what we're trying to do is to show that there's something called science. And yes, I am a absolutely. scientist. I 100%
4: support
2: okay, just let me talk, let me talk, calm down, stop, I'll cut you off.
1: No, no, I just
2: put her on hold. Go ahead, yeah.
1: finish your thought, then I'll Science back.
2: is important. It's not these guys running around saying, my kid brother yeah. got autism after he got a vaccine. Mm-hmm. That's like saying, I um, got skin cancer after I drank a Coca-Cola. The point I'm trying to make Could is I that please
4: ask him a question, not related to all
2: it's called post hoc propter hoc. And that is a scientific term that because something happened after something else doesn't mean there's a causality. Now, their latest study on autism shows it's a genetic defect. They can diagnose it in the womb before any vaccines are given. Pardon? I didn't hear. Could I
4: make a comment on this?
2: Yeah, absolutely. It's your. You have the floor now.
4: Okay, I brought autism up as an example that that is one problem that can come from vaccines that is always brought to the spotlight. I'm saying that there are many injuries that can happen from vaccines. Okay, name one. A lot of doctors are not aware of
2: them. Name one. Name it.
4: Food allergies, IgE mediated. Okay.
2: Food allergies. They don't know.
4: IgE mediated food allergies.
2: Okay. Name another one. Asthma. Name another one.
4: Epilepsy.
1: Okay.
2: All right. Now, I will tell you this. If you can show me a scientific journal written by a true scientist published in a reputable journal that says food allergies and asthma come from vaccines, I will quit my profession. How's that sound?
4: Okay. Can I actually give you an example of one right now?
2: What was you it published in? The, the Journal business. of Irreproducible Results. Is that what it was,
1: Tracy? Okay. Give us a give us a a hint. Where am I going to find this? I'm going to
2: look all these up, and we're going to talk about okay, it next if week. If you
4: could look up a study, yeah, do it. Tell the us the study. Toxin and alum adjuvant vaccine on FEMA allergy, out of the Journal of Allergy and Clinical Immunology.
2: Okay, we'll look at it. I
4: allergy. could read you a, just a real quick flip out of that right now.
2: We'll look at what? it. Now, what I'm, I'm going you know, to have yeah. to you, know, you know how physicians are? They have to study the article. So, what I'm going to do is I'm going to pull this article, I'm going to study it, yeah. and then I'm going to talk about it next week. Tracy, because, will you
1: join us next week?
2: Yes, please. Will I, I
4: want to say one more
2: thing. Dr. Yeah, Dr. absolutely. You're almost, you we're you have we're the floor. almost
1: out of time. But, yes, Tracy, go ahead.
4: I just want to say I'm not trying to argue with you I'm trying to share information my nanny was actually a patient of yours for many years she um, was not go to anyone else other than you I recently. know <laughs>
2: but you know what there's so, nothing um,
4: you know I nothing wrong with arguing with I, I mean you that a lot of doctors are just not you totally may t- aware of the you may problem. teach
2: me something I'm going to read this article if you're right then I'm out of business
1: Tracy listen next week everybody else listen next week it's four o'clock Saturday you just make yourself yeah. an appointment Put it on your smartphone for an alarm to ring at 4 o'clock every Saturday afternoon for Heart
0: Health. The proceeding was meant for information purposes only. Before taking any action on what was just discussed, consult your medical doctor.